Welcome to School of Everything Else. Chrono Trigger. This episode has five sponsors, which might be a record for our show. We've got Nicholas Kosky, Kevin Vay, Alexander Peregrine, and then Matthew A. Siebert and Brian Legg all chipped in together. And usually I wouldn't even begin to undertake a JRPG, even a relatively self-contained 30 to 40 hour experience like this one, because the scale of sponsor fees should by all rights, spiral into the thousands of dollars in terms of how much of my time it could potentially take up. However, I have a long, long history with not being able to make progress on this game, which I will detail in just a bit. So I took a token fee of $300 to push my way to the end. And I seriously needed it because without that incentive, I would have once again set it aside for another year. Now, usually we don't bring in sponsors as guests because there's kind of a conflict of interest there. I also don't want to make it feel like you can buy yourself a platform on our show. However, in this case, I really needed help exploring the depths, the lore, and the history on the subject matter. And Sharon wasn't along for the ride, so for this one, Alex Peregrine and Kevin Vai, two men who have a rich personal history with Chrono Trigger, are joining my party of three on our quest across time. So hello, Peregrine. Hello. And hello, Kevin. Hi, guys. <laughs> so let me preface this show with my personal staggered experience with Chrono Trigger. I was born and raised and am still stuck in the UK, which in the mid-1990s was not the best place for JRPGs on the Super Nintendo. I read about Saiken Densetsu 2, or to use its American name, Secret of Mana, on the magazine Superplay, now defunct these past few decades. Secret of Mana was released over in England, and it was made by Square, prior to their gem fusion with Enix, who had been releasing Dragon Quest games in Japan on the NES, but declined to release Dragon Quest VI in the West in 1995 until its Nintendo DS re-release in 2011. Square, for their part, have been releasing Final Fantasy games on the NES only in Japan and occasionally North America. Think about that long and hard, folks. Final Fantasy VI didn't reach the UK until the PlayStation version in 2002, five years after Final Fantasy VII got here. There is no wonder that the adventures of Cloud, Tifa, Eris and Barrett were so popular on my island. For many of us, it was the first proper JRPG we ever got to play. However, a few years beforehand, I did get the pleasure, like I said, of Secret of Mana, and that was an adventure I got myself lost in. I adored the presentation, the music, the battle system was meaty, and in 
If in retrospect it was simple and a bit imprecise and kind of annoying at times, the boss, the bosses were cheating bastards and the magic system was practically broken in terms of how often you'd need to heal and cause damage at the same time with constant pauses as they devastated you with bouncing physical hits. It's a punishing game to go back to, though the PS4 remake is wonderful if you're a long-time fan. But when I was done with that epic quest, which dwarfed that of The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, and ended up hurting a lot more with its melancholy ending of loss and sacrifice, I hungered for more. And in Super Play, and Nintendo Magazine System, and in Game Zone, they all started featuring screenshots of a Square game called Chrono Trigger, which had just been released in the United States in 1995, and I was salivating at the prospect, and I scoured the pages for a UK release date. It never came. We never got Chrono Trigger on the Super Nintendo. As well as no Chrono Trigger over here, we got no Earthbound on the Super Nintendo, no Final Fantasy IV, or V, or VI, no Super Mario RPG. We had a market starving for JRPGs, and nothing coming our way. Partly this was due to localization. If you release a game in England, you have to release it in Europe. And if it's in English, it has to be in Spanish and French and German and Dutch and Esperanto and Latin and Klingon. And due to these being dense, text-heavy narratives, Square didn't feel it was worth investing that kind of translation project. Two years later, I was swept away by Final Fantasy VII, followed by eight and nine and ten and eventually twelve. The demand had finally been met in the UK by supply, but I was already running out of the mountains of time required to play games like this. Luckily, Chrono Trigger was released on the Sony PlayStation as part of the Final Fantasy Chronicles series bundled with Final Fantasy IV, two games I would have loved to play in the 90s in my teens. Unfortunately, they were only released in North America and Japan and region locked, and my multi-region PS1 had died a year or so before, so no Chrono Trigger again for me. When I was 22 years old, in desperation, I bought a Super Nintendo converter and an American Famicom cartridge. For, I think this cost me, like, over £100. It just so happened to be the same month that Grand Theft Auto Vice City came out, so I couldn't give it the attention it deserved, and gaming had moved on into the third dimension with a vengeance, and Xbox Live was changing the way we connected as we gamed. There just wasn't space for this relic from two generations ago. Sometime later, I tried to play an emulated version on my PC, but I was into World of Warcraft at the time, and Azeroth was always just a double-click away. In 2009, a Nintendo DS version launched, worldwide this time, 14 years after its SNES release. This was the first official, legitimate UK version. And I bought it, immediately. And I played it through to the Protodome, and I got stuck. And bear in mind I was now podcasting for Digital Cowboys on the subject of video games every week, and new subjects and focus points were in my field of vision all the time. I think I was playing Grand Theft Auto 4 at this point. Maybe 50 Cent Blood on the Sand, a Street Fighter 4, Resident Evil 5, there wasn't room for an ancient turn-based RPG. In 2011, it hit the Wii Virtual Console, the fifth-to-last SNES game for that service. I picked it up, I got to the Protodome, and I sold my DS cartridge, and then I didn't go back to it because it was 2011 and I had Arkham City and Skyward Sword to play. And then in 2013 I got a Wii U and transferred all of my virtual console titles over. Some classic games allowed you to upgrade them for a small fee and access directly through the big controller. Not Chrono Trigger though! 
All that did was destroy my save file and make me start all over again through the fiddly, invisible pool cue interface that I've always hated about Nintendo's phenomenally popular living room sports toy. I mean, console. Eventually, I reacquired the DS version once I got a 3DS XL in late 2013 and started playing through again, getting to the Protodome again and getting stuck again. And I set it aside for many, many years. And then, recently... Somebody suggested Chrono Trigger as a commissioned show. And I started off by going, No! You are not making me play that game again! And then the prospect of actually finishing this thing presented itself. So after 24 continuously frustrated and distracted years, I finally set about getting beyond Protodome and seeing what else was out there in this world. Or should I say, when else is out there in this world? Now, I have a dozen or so questions to ask that should get us some detail on why this game was and remains so special to so many. Before that, how about we furnish our listeners, especially the majority who never got to play this, with a rough outline of the game. I'm going to give a very simplified version and allow my Chrono Trigger experts here to elaborate. This is a turn-based JRPG quite similar in design to Final Fantasy VI, only rather than there being an expansively geographical map... The world itself is quite small. However, with the use of portals and eventually a time machine, you are able to move your party back and forth through different eras, recruiting new allies, dealing with conflicts, and sometimes changing the past to affect the future. The big bad is a creature named Lavos, or Lavos, depending on how you always pronounced it, who comes from another world and whom you can challenge to the final battle at pretty much any part of the game, though beating him is hard, even at the very end. Your lead is a mostly mute fellow named Chrono, who lives with his mother, has orange spiky hair, an oversized sword, and a bunch of friends who are far more interesting than him. Although, you can kind of imbue him with a little bit of personality, especially at the beginning of the game, where you can kind of decide what and what not to do when you're at the Millennium Fair, which is a nice way of showing what kind of person you are, and you eventually get put on trial for that behaviour. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a bit, I'm sure. So, can you elaborate on anything that I've missed out that's crucial to understanding the setup of, uh, of this game? No, um, I think you hit the nail on the head pretty succinctly, I thought. Okay. Not bad for someone who's uh, only just finished the damn thing. So um, I'm going to ask you guys first, and I'm going to start with uh, Alex Peregrine here. Um, what mm-hmm. is your personal history with this game? Okay. I live in the United States. You lucky bastard. <laughs> yeah. I was a big fan of Square's games. Games from the original Final Fantasy onward. I owned Secret of Mana and Final Fantasy VI. Both of them were special to me. Also, I was a subscriber to Nintendo Power, and they had their own section for RPG specifically, and they were, of course, hyping Chrono Trigger up. It came out in August of that year. I mean, as a 12-year-old, I didn't really have my own income to spend on an $80 cartridge. Mm. So I rented it from this local video place where somebody else had already played through and finished the game, and I wasn't really quite sure what New Game or New Game Plus meant. And for New Game Plus, they add a sparkly bit on the right telepad that takes you directly to Lavos. I clicked it. Nice. And, and, and did he just, just completely thrash you immediately? Or Yeah, I had okay. no idea. How you even 
fought stuff in this game specifically. Right. And of course, when you die to Lavos, you get that incredibly bleak ending. <laughs> Oh god, and, that ending! I saw that ending so many times when I first fought Lavos uh, when I started a new game, and uh, I, uh, but we'll get to my history in a moment. And it's just I was, uh, it always just made me just cry in frustration. Like, why can't I beat this son of a? No, you but, can swear, and we can also spoil it. Okay, fair. <laughs> it's, fair, it's fair, I, fair. I believe, as I've just uh, made uh, clear over the well, twenty-four well, I mean, years. I mean, I was a little kid, so I was, yeah. I was trying. I always tro- tried hard not oh, to swear, okay, and sorry. now that I'm a grown-up, I still yeah. haven't disabused myself of that habit. So. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> yeah. you very much for making this uh, this podcast child-friendly. But you don't have yeah. to. But the statute of limitations on spoilers for this game has got to be up because we've got to be able to discuss all the endings. If you have any interest in this game, do play it unspoiled. True, actually. Because... Yeah. If, if you really want to go in uh, fresh, then this is a... a, a one, and if you're able to get through JRPGs, and for some reason this one hasn't gone across your radar, it's a very strong one. It's available on Steam for like 15 bucks, and that's actually a good deal because you also get the bonus content of the DS version. So. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, granted, game. they had to patch a few things on it when they initially released it, yeah. but it's still totally worth it, even though I bought it right when it first came out on Steam. And I believe so. you can get that even if you're a lowly person who lives in the UK. They will allow yeah. you to play it yeah. then. Now, oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if it's on Steam, mm-hmm. it's pretty much worldwide, as far as I know. Yeah. So. Although the DS version, notably, is about 50 quid on eBay. It's, it's hard to find. Yeah. But anyway, so, just that. Sorry, Peregrine, carry on. <clears throat> I rented the game... I don't know the exact number, and this video store is long gone, so I doubt they would even have this as a record, but I, by my 12-year-old mind, I rented it for 12 weekends straight, to the point where even one of the people at the store commented on that. I eventually got that for the holidays. That was the first time I played through it on a fresh new game, was my own copy, and I played it obsessively until maxed out all of the characters and did every character combination along with various challenges such as beating Lavos solo as Chrono with the mop and other such things. It's a pretty impressive feat. Even I can't do that. My history with the game is kind of comparable but also kind of different to uh, Peregrine's in that, well, I grew up sharing an NES and a SNES with my two older brothers and uh, I would occasionally watch my the middle brother Owen. Uh, he'd uh, play a lot of JRPGs. He was particularly into like Dragon Quest or Dragon War Heroes. It was known in those days. And uh, I never really, I mean, I know I never really got into JRPGs much until he got Chrono Trigger, and I watched him play a bit of it. And I just, I thought it was cool that you could travel through time, and there was just the. T- the sheer diversity of all the different party members you could get like to, while fighting monsters like a robot, a cavewoman, a frog with a giant sword, you know, I just thought that was pretty cool. I honestly didn't really learn to appreciate the story of Corner Trigger until I was a few years older, really, and I really just picked up on all the nuances and just and just saw just how much these characters like evol- evolved as they went on this journey to stop this Lovecraftian monstrosity <laughs> that Lavos is. At least if you think about it, it's kind of Lovecraftian anyway. Pretty much played the game obsessively to the point of maxing out all the characters and getting all the endings and all that stuff. And I even got it. I ended up getting the DS version for myself maybe a couple months after it came out because I had a little money saved away for that. But also, one of the things I even appreciate now is just that 
all these different characters from all these different eras and backgrounds and and social standings all come together to face off against this monstrous thing. I just and I found that it's almost like a it's almost like the Avengers in a way, you know. Mm. It just I find I just find that really appealing in a way where all these different people from different backgrounds come together to face this one thing for the greater good, you know. And I just I love I love that. Nice. Uh, so yeah. um, this is quite an open-ended question, uh, but I, I think mm. I've already because we, we've already established that you're uh, hopping through time rather than space. Yeah. Is there anything else that makes this JRPG different from the rest? Well, as I said before, I, the final boss is like this big giant cosmic parasite that's mm. kind of Lovecraftian in a way, as opposed to just like a person like who's like uh, this one guy who's like hell bent on like taking over or destroying the world or whatever. Mm. Although, if you play Final Fantasy VI, Kefka actually destroys the world at one point so it's up to him to to basically topple him and then mm. try to rebuild the world from the ground up but there's a still. nice switcheroo in as far as i can tell and I, I never got the snes um oh, actually no i did i would have been able to read this back in the early 2000s but the in the original manual it was building up magus or magus as this like, as, as the big bad and then you pretty yeah, much beat I him about a th- halfway two-thirds of the way through the game and then it's like yeah, yeah no I he's was, not I, the one who we need to worry yeah, about yeah i was yeah, especially when he's all like, "You fools! I just summoned him. I was—he's been living in this world for a long time. I was just—I just wanted to take him on myself." Yeah, you know, I—I was—I was floored by that. Although Megas can be a real wake-up call boss if you're ill-prepared for him as well. Yeah, so I—I I had a lot of uh, uh, help from uh, various guides in 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 working out how to just strategize through the bosses early rather than uh, by trial and error because when I'm just trying to get yeah. through a game I do not want to have to be butting my head up against uh, you know how do I beat you type yeah, of war. yeah I, I get that especially since you know time is finite in your yeah. unit, from what I understand uh, believe so. me folks I will not be doing this kind of thing normally this was a very special case do not ask me to do a JRPG uh, agreed I yeah. actually suggested to Alex uh, Tales of Symphonia for a show once and he said no I it's believe I laughed at you like Tidus. <laughs> I, uh, I I looked at the uh, recommendation and went, "Yeah, no, that's not happening." But uh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I mostly I mostly suggested it because there was mm. themes in that game that really would you would re- would really resonate with you regarding Absolutely. like prejudice and racism and all that. Now, so. Honestly, the the themes are not the uh, the themes are the thing I would definitely play for. Oh, yeah. It's the packaging. It's the, yeah. uh, the, and that, the and you can totally have this, fair. but I, you've I, got I, to invest 40 hours. Yeah, yeah, well, more than 40. Although, I mean... Oh, jeez. It, it, yeah, yeah, Tales of Symphonia is a long and mm. I, I mean, I remember playing it on the GameCube, and it's uh, like when one of my friends got me hooked on it, and it was like, wow, okay. But it, but, the, but it was the characters and the shades of grey threaded throughout the mm. story that kept me going because it was like wow this is so fascinating there are a couple um, of other things that make it different from the average jrpg that the um like i said may just turns out to be not the big bad you uh, we can spoil this particular character death because it's absolutely key to the game we got to be able to talk oh about God, it yes. your your main guy chrono around about the time you've beat Magus, you then go on to fight uh, Lavos uh, unprepared, and you get absolutely thrashed, and in that fight, Chrono gets disintegrated and is oh, effectively yeah. totally gone, obliterated. dead. And uh, it's, it's very much like another 
very classic square JRPG death from Final Fantasy VII, which devastated me at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, which I won't spoil because we've, we've got this remake coming up and it feels like, you know, we've got a whole new generation of, uh, of youngsters who haven't actually played Final Fantasy VII. Agreed. Uh, but, you know, if we were talking about Final Fantasy VII, we could spoil this particular death. But either way, the, the chrono death does kind of blindside you because then who's leading your party and you have to you can actually for the first time in the game just start shifting characters around and, and saying well, well this person's now leading and Magus uh, it, you know as long as you play your cards right Magus will actually join you and then help you to get Chrono back out of the time stream which was a lovely um, uh, touch which I hadn't expected I, I yeah. honestly I knew Chrono was going to die because I'd heard enough in 24 years when trying to get into this game that that was going to happen. If, in fact, it might actually have stopped me playing a little bit because I was like, I don't want to invest too much. Um, I, I can understand that. I yeah. mean, I'm kind of in that same boat. But I mean, I, I was kind of in that same boat when it came to Final Fantasy VII because I knew mm. about, I pretty much knew about that particular death. Thank you. Mostly because I mostly because I. Um, watched uh, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children to oh, yeah. a friend of mine, and they kind of spoil it wholesale. It was like a late arrival spoiler kind of thing. And also just the whole, they also kind of cribbed the bits of the, uh, re, re, basically gave the cliff notes on the basic what happened in that game yeah. as well, just to keep continuity, which is fair. Yeah. And so, uh, but, and so, but, but in my case with Chrono's death, I, I that really hit me pretty hard. I mean, that was like, I I was like nine years old when I first played this game, and mm. that knocked me for a loop to the point where I actually stopped playing for the game for a week so I could process this because oh I was like, "Damn it, the hero's dead! What the hell?" And then when I went back to play it and seeing the characters just filled with as much raw emotion as I did, and then you know Megas joining the team and saying, "Hey, let's make things right and bring him back." I, I, I just was like, okay, yeah, let's let's bring him back, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so it's like a really testament to the square that they really made the raw, raw emotion work on both levels, and that just the, not just the characters feeling it, but making the player feel it too, to some extent. You know? Yeah, I can say how how it does that as well. Video games, when they have a mute protagonist, especially in an RPG, it's the audience surrogate. Mm-hmm. They're usually Very thinly so. drawn. And the idea is that you're basically experiencing the game through that character. And and the way that it handles both the trial for you basically just being, being just how in RPGs, the morality is just really lucid as far as what the player does. And mm-hmm. you can just rob houses all you want and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You can and steal a, a child's pocket money from out of a little treasure chest at the end of his bed and wander <laughs> off only with yourself giving yourself the penalty of guilt. Yeah, but oh, the trial... Well, uh, 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 most of the game you can just still do mm-hmm. that, but the trial kind of... Yeah, to explain against- the trial briefly, at the beginning of the uh, game you've got the Millennium Fair, which is uh, celebrating the year 1000, and you meet the Princess in Disguise, Aladdin style, and you wander around playing various carnival games, and what you do 
in the street will affect the game later. Not hugely, but enough to make you take note of how you behave. So you can eat a man's lunch, you can help a little girl find her cat, you can... I love that part. Yeah. I I hate the fact that I was judged for immediately running over to grab the pendant and give it back to Marl after I bumped into her. Yeah, that kind of irked me And and it's like, yeah, see, he didn't even check on her before. It's like, no... I, w- I went to return the pendant to her straight away as a sorry I knocked this thing over. That was like, Ugh. but either way, uh, yeah. the, when, when you g- get to the trial part, you either get imprisoned for life or uh, a brief imprisonment for, uh, for spiriting the princess away. But it's a, it's a nice way of showing that your actions have consequences. Uh, yeah. con- continue, Peregrine. The death of Chrono comes as a huge shock because usually whatever characters the audience surrogate will survive beginning to end Mm -hmm. and usually they don't really get a huge amount of development they're essentially holding the camera for the other characters there are plenty of elements that play around with your meta understanding of rpgs yeah such as the trial yeah and it it was pretty ahead of its time in a sense since uh chrono trigger came out in 95 you know and now it's like that kind of thing would you'd see in like RPGs now with like moral choices of doing good and bad like in say Fable or for instance you know and now they, they, it's kind of almost become the norm in essence yeah and I remember when uh, when I played Final Fantasy 7 it was like there, there's so much in this that uh, felt brand new and sparkling but had I played some slightly earlier square RPGs from the uh, 90s I think I would have caught the connective tissue between them Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's why Seven had such an impact because people were reeling at what a different kind of game it was. And also, I think to some extent, Seven was the first JRPG to really break the mainstream, and not on not just in your area, but here in the in the states as well. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it almost felt like JRPGs were kind of like a niche genre in um, yeah. in the in, in the Western audiences for a while. Because, they still um, are, but that was one where it actually but hit never, the big But time. not quite to the same extent. They, uh, not yeah. quite to the same extent, because, you know, Dragon Quest is getting localized more very viably true, yeah. than it has been before. I mean, okay. so it was I mean, they're very really niche before to the, to the point where they wouldn't even bother releasing them in Europe. Exactly. Yeah. And nowadays, yeah. with, like, digital platforms and stuff, they probably can afford to do that now. Yeah. So um, For Final Fantasy... It's the second best-selling PlayStation 1 game of all time, Mm -hmm. and the number one title, Gran Turismo, was a bundle. So how much people were buying Gran Turismo is debatable, but Final Fantasy VII was never a bundle. Yeah. Forty-some million people did buy it. I think there must just have been so much anecdotal, you have to play this game going around at that stage. Yeah, word of mouth goes a long way. Yeah. yeah, word of mouth goes a long way. So, uh, how does time travel occasionally affect gameplay in uh, Chrono Trigger? How can you rejig things and change things, and, and uh, does it affect plot too much? Uh, oh. Well, I, I think it, 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 I don't know if it, I, well, time travel is kind of embedded into the fabric of the story really early on, anyway. Mm. But uh, but I think. Uh, one of the good examples of time travel actually can 
really work in your favor is there's these little mysterious black boxes that are littered throughout the land and if you uh, if before you, you try to approach them from a certain point a little jingle plays and it says mysterious forces keeping it shut yeah. so it's kind of like ooh this is fascinating and, and you then, have to um, remember where they are as well and sort of make ex- exactly yeah. yeah and then once you get the means to open them you can open them up and then there are certain ones that are like this item is reacting to the pendant and if you actually like ignore the like do that but it don't open it in like say 600 AD but you go back and open that same chest in 1000 AD you'll get you'll get an upgraded version of the mm. item that was in that original black box so it kind of works in that way like you know for example like um there's some like armor you can get in this one little like cathedral thing during the side quest and if it's an upgraded form it'll be really good for magic defense for your male characters so it it, it upgrades itself over the centuries as it is passed down throughout the years and added to and goes from being a male shirt to a plate armor and uh although you can also if you're being really sneaky Go forward in time, get the plate armor, go back in time, and pick up the male armor beforehand, which should surely create a paradox. Exactly. I, well, to be fair, I, I've, I've actually been actually do exactly that whenever I play the game. So yeah, just because yeah. because sometimes the armor that they have, like the past version of it, is also pretty damn good in its own right you know and it and it's it's maybe a step down from yeah. the upgraded version but it's still pretty damn good if you need to kind of balance out your characters a bit more the so, way the game handles or rather doesn't handle paradoxes yeah. i feel is actually one of the better ways to handle time travel yeah where it acknowledges I, that something as major as someone's ancestor getting killed would eventually have repercussions but it doesn't happen immediately and it just ignoring paradoxes such as that item could not have been in the chest if you got it from the past it ignores that and later on in the game they have discussions about basically that there's some kind of entity guiding things yeah which yeah suggests that basically is it Doctor Who that mentions how paradoxes are kind of arbitrary? Yeah, with yeah, I believe I believe so. I'm a big Who fan myself. Yeah, and I, I believe they kind of smooth that over. Although there are some episodes that really deal with the ramifications of time travel in a heavy way, like uh, like Father's Day, for instance, which mm. has uh, the Ninth Doctor and Rose Tyler involving Rose's father and uh, him being the epicenter of a very nasty temporal paradox that mm. causes these weird monstrosities to come through a fabric in reality and cause all kinds of shit, but, you know... I think I have found before. that uh, some of the uh, best time travel stories sometimes play a little fast and loose with causality, uh, the Back to the Future trilogy being one of the absolute best that makes no yeah. goddamn sense if you look at it, especially after the first one. But, um, it, but it's still pretty damn fun, in yeah, a way. It's, it's, well, it's, it, like I say, it's, it's one of the most fun. And one of the least fun is one of the hardest magic systems of time travel uh, is, uh, what was it called again? Primer. Ugh, oh primer. yes, yes. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, but yeah. so so yeah. It's it's. It, I don't personally consider um, time travel rules and sticking to them rigidly to be necessarily uh, linked with quality. Uh, it, oftentimes I agree. it's the other way around. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's like, 
I mean, there's several like audio stories from Big Finish that involved for Doctor Who that involve like River Song, for instance, mm-hmm. meeting some of the past Doctors and stuff. And I've talked about that. I talked to that uh, that to one of my other friends who's a big Doctor Who fan, and and she's like, "Wouldn't that screw with continuity?" And she's like, think. "Yeah, but that's part of the fun, you know, yeah. hearing River interacting with these past Doctors, <laughs> like Tom Baker and River Song together. How can you not enjoy that?" A lot of Doctor yeah. Who is uh, wish fulfillment and gratifying the audience with "Wouldn't it be cool if." So uh, I, that that's very much in the but, spirit but, of it. But it's the good kind of what it would be cool with. Yeah, it, yeah. What it would be cool with as opposed to like being bogged down in it and being like, oh, this is just so tedious. Tell a good story. Also, you can uh, – like th- there are ways of getting really uh, ingrained in continuity to the point where it becomes impossible to read. Uh, like I said, I was watching a bunch of videos earlier today. Um, w- one of them attempted to explain the timeline of Chrono Cross, which I'm not going to go into. Well, this was a, yeah, a pl- I, please don't. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be like Neil Taylor and be like, "Oh God, I've gone cross-eyed." <laughs> yeah, this is a PlayStation One game that was a semi-sequel that doesn't seem to fit into continuity. But if you know your continuity, it really does make perfect sense. It, it's sort of an, I know a, my a, continuity, and it yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. It's but fair enough. <laughs> it's sort of an alternate reality thing. But like, if you hear all of those words put together, and it starts to really get into the thick of it, it's really difficult to follow. So uh, I, I, I would personally say it's. It's, it's not essential to play Chrono Cross. Of the, uh, it, there's only two games in this series, and Chrono oh, Cross is non-essential. There are three games. Oh, what's the third? Oh, three. Oh, yeah. Radical Dreamers. Oh, yeah. Radical Dreamers is a Japan only. Okay. It was a Teleview it, game. It, there is a fan translation of it too. Yeah. But they. But I thought that Radical Dreamers was not rendered non-canonical because of the events of Chrono Cross. But yeah. Probably. I heard that too. But uh, okay, so either way, uh, Chrono Trigger would Sorry. be the, the one to definitely play before um, setting yourself the task of the rest. This is why I would say again, it needs to be on Switch. The, I, uh, I agree. I mean, even if it's just like a poor, uh, the, a version that's comparable to the version that's on Steam, I would love to have it on the Switch. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. The, uh, if, if for no other reason, uh, like you know, the, the the live Nintendo games that you can like effectively Netflix. Uh, oh from yeah, a I, sparse I, I amount those. of Nintendo's library. Yeah, you I know. have those on my Switch. It's incredible. Okay, I was actually recently doing a doctor a video of playing Doctor Mario with one of my friends on that. Oh nice! But that's thing. It was really great. So, would you say yeah. that Chrono Trigger would fit into that like a little glove? Yeah, if they update the SNES version of that, mm. like uh, the library of that to include Chrono Trigger, yeah, I'd be yeah. okay with that. Or if they, like I said, if they decided to kind of bring this stu- up being the, like the stuff that they did in the PC version over to the Switch version, because mm. they actually remastered like two Square RPGs in HD, uh, the Romance- Romancing Saga 2 and 3 for PC and, they- and Switch. In fact, they just recently put out three. Uh, just the other day, uh, or last week, and I actually bought three the Romancing Saga three, and not knowing what I was in for, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. So mm, very true. I also own the uh, um, updated versions of Final Fantasy seven and nine on Switch, and I, I need to get those. I haven't gotten around yep. to it yet. There's also a three pack of uh, Mana games with uh, Secret of Mana. I own that. It's Trial so of good. Mana. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and yeah. I think that was to. to raise awareness of Trial of Mana for its remake. Uh, so again, like remake yeah. Chrono Trigger and then re-release that in a pack. Yeah, there you go. 
Uh, or, or just or just remake Chrono Trigger on its own with like a art style comparable to the Secret of Mana remake. That would be awesome. That's that's my hope because it that that is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I'll talk about oh, that a little bit so at the end because that's uh, that's going to be another recommendation for yeah. me. Yeah, so no worries. <laughs> I'm going to jump over these uh, next two questions and go straight to who were your favorite characters because you know we've talked about Chrono, but he's surrounded by some really interesting, fun little uh, guys and girls and robots. Very colorful characters. In yeah. fact, I'm actually wearing a t-shirt with my, one of my favorite characters on it right now. Okay, uh, so... As a 13-year-old boy, that was very much part of the sludge of boyhood. Of course, my favorite was Magus at the time. And, I mean, Lord. <laughs> yeah. But I also liked him because of just the whole fact that he has a sympathetic backstory, and yeah. I like the whole thing of just someone that you fought before or it joins you yeah he tries so. to make amends for his uh, misdeeds yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that too actually I'd like to make it for similar reasons but later on just thinking about it and such my favorite character by far is Lucum nice and, me too. and she's she's just a really positive character mm. For those that have chosen not to play this game, Luca is Chrono's best friend, an inventor. She's following the footsteps of her father. Which is really progressive for the time. Mm. Yeah. Even now. (laughs) The way that they don't talk about her gender is really progressive. Mm -hmm. That too. It's just assumed that, of course, the daughter of the inventor is also going to be an inventor. And she doesn't feel like she's really compensating for anything. I think she's not being challenged for her abilities. She's a bit socially awkward, but not in any real gross way. She's really happy and enthusiastic to be with people. She's she's really excited to show off her skills. Doesn't chide anybody for not understanding things and actually tries to explain things to them. Hmm. She has just so much self-confidence. And you can see that in the way they animate her. Oh, definitely. She just looks so excited to be there. And one thing thing about her that really cinches her is specifically the way they handle her backstory one of the best bits of storytelling i've ever seen one of the most economical Hmm. i agree with that actually that's really it was really impressive because you see this cheerful person then you find out there's this like dark undercurrent the that happened in her as a kid of something that happened when she was a kid and it's just it it, it adds a nice kind of bit of hidden depth to her that really fleshes her out yeah, she, as a nine-year-old, witnessed her mother get caught in and mangled by one of the machines her father invented. And and in the original timeline, that was basically kind of the catalyst for her becoming an inventor, where she feels as though she needs to master machinery so that tragedies like these don't happen. Mm. But in this game, they let you... Well, it's part of a side quest where there you repopulate a forest... But at the end of that, after you've had Robo just planting a forest for 400 years Hmm. and you retrieve him, they have a campfire scene, which honestly should have been part of the main story. I agree. They talk about the nature of time travel of the entity. Someone asks Luca just if there's anything she would change and she brushes it off. But as if confirming that there is an entity paying attention she wakes up to find a gate that takes her not only back 10 years, but also physically to the house. Mm. And there's one journal where 
as a nine-year-old, she just wrote about how her dad blew off hiking so he could work on machines and how she hates machines because it's driving a wedge in her family. And there's another journal in the kitchen that says how to actually stop the machine, which the way the game's designed, I feel as though it's designed specifically so that you will fail this the yeah, first time. Yeah, I, I failed the it. first time and I got it right the second time, which was a huge and That was my relief. experience, too. Yeah. That assumption that you will fail at first actually gives it a lot of gravitas. Her mother's dress gets caught in this conveyor belt and the machine turns on by itself. And you have to enter her name, which involves you pressing buttons on the controller. And it doesn't really signpost that you do that. Although it's like Lara, the, isn't it? So it's yeah. left Lara, A, yeah. right A. So it's uh, the right trigger on the um, SNES pad. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was actually really clever, too, because I never, because growing up with an NES and a Super Nintendo, I didn't really know if there was a use for those shoulder buttons, mm. and then that popped up when I first played Chrono Trigger, I'm like, wait, you can actually use those buttons? You can also use them to flee from battles. Yep. Yeah, well, I didn't know that at the time, I well, do that now. Yeah, so <laughs> I ended up using that quite a lot in the past week. through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, anyway... Hey, stopping the tragedy actually makes it feel more tragic and poignant just because giving you the option to stop it may really impresses that it was something you could have averted as a child. That's you. If you, as a nine, if Lucas specifically, yeah, I tend to use you and the character interchangeably. Yeah. But yeah. if Luca as a child had been more into technology she could have averted this and one detail that i hadn't really thought about until recently is just how regardless whether or not you save the mother or the next cut after that luca is actually crying into her bed mm-hmm. and one interpretation i had thought of for that is just that the game establishes that they retain their original memories yeah. so yeah, ripple um, effect proof memory, I believe TV Tropes calls it. So she still has to live with the fact that her childhood was marked by this tragedy, and she's really just kind of saving an alternate version of herself. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, uh, the, the reason she's not able to save her mother the first time around appears to be that she's freaking out uh, because she's panicking, and... Uh, the only way you are able to do it as an uh, as an adult and effectively fix it for her is because you could just you've already witnessed it. You can just cold, like, as you said. I think this is genuinely intentional. You can just not coldly but decisively put the code in, knowing that you can get it right this time and, and save her. But ultimately, it's not her fault that she's freaking out as a child. She didn't realize this was going to happen. And I think her mother's legs get uh, horribly injured the first time around, but yeah. she effectively Yeah, she gets them. really crippled. Yeah. The trope uh, in sci-fi fantasy for this type of character is a wrench wench. I got my own, uh, Harry Arlington in uh, New Century. And we, I've been playing uh, Outer Worlds recently, and the character of Pavati is really just this 
this wonderful extension and moving on of, of that type of character. Um, and yeah, I heartily recommend Outer Worlds as well. Yeah, and the and the character, you know, women. Speaking of women who interact with technology, there's also a, and really know how to use it. There's also a Rain Sage to some extent in Tales of Symphonia because yeah. even though she's basically the healer character that can join your party, she like when you're in these like high tech facilities stuff, she knows exactly what to do, like to to play with everything in such a way like in some cases to set like the facilities to self-destruct mm. you know so so it's a, a nice little variation on that the character of Ayla by the way uh, is uh, sort of a uh, Raquel Welch in 10,000 years BC or was it 1 oh, million God, yes. years BC and so she's like in a sexy fur bikini and her super ability is charm which effectively means she gets to steal off of uh, uh, the whatever mobs you're up against and when they've got nothing they, it says they can offer you nothing but their gratitude and from the sounds of it she's just kind of like shaking her booty and you can also yeah. get like a uh, an alluring sh- alluring brow or something like that an alluring top yeah. which makes yeah, your well, they call it charm top in the SNS That's translation right, yeah. but it's called the luring top in yeah. subsequent translations which, which makes your abilities better and it's kind of they do it a lot in the Charlie's Angels films by McGee yeah. and I, I would have a problem with it if it weren't for the fact that Luca is such the opposite of this so it's like okay and, and, balance and also, that'll do and also the fact that it's kind of passed over in such mm. a way that you don't think about it much when yeah. you're a kid but when you're a grown up you're like oh okay yeah. talk about getting crap past the radar there yeah <laughs> Uh, and uh, Ayla is quite um, you know, uh, assertive of, uh, in her own right as well. There is a little bit of that whole kind of, you know, ooh, sexy native thing going on. Fortunately, she's white, so they sidestep some of the colonial aspects of this particular trope. But uh, she's she's a, a good enough character in her uh, in and of herself. Sounds like she's uh, named after the character of Ayla from Clan, Clan of the, the Cave. Clan of the Cave Bear, that's the one, which was interestingly one of the basis of... Uh, Tiger's Eye, one of my books. Yeah. So, yeah. And everything feeds a- off each other. <laughs> Ayla is also, she's also another character whose gender is not challenged. The Her chief. tribe, the Ioka tribe, whoever is strongest becomes chief. Yeah. And I suppose no one says you can't be chief, you're a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like, actually. I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, so, uh, Kevin, uh, favorite character that we haven't already mentioned? Uh, I, I have a couple actually okay. uh, like there i mean i like uh, the, the characters like for reasons you guys mentioned but my two favorites really are uh it's uh they're frog and robo actually mm-hmm. uh, i'll start with robo first uh robo he's kind of like the not the token non-human of the team really mm-hmm. uh, uh he's kind of because he's fully artificial and i just i kind of in a way, almost because I grew up uh, being diagnosed with Asperger's at a young age, I kind of related to him in a similar way that I kind of related to Data from Star Trek Next Generation and even to some extent Andrew Martin from Bicentennial Man, where this non-human person who grows and learns through experiencing things with these other – these like this group of humans and – and who just accept him as part of the team, really? You know? And 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 he even he grows to the point where it's well beyond his the parameters of his original programming, really. Like you know, especially like in this side quest where you go through the factory where he was manufactured, and and you uh, confront like the AI that's in charge of that facility and named Mother Brain, or her Metroid. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, 
basically, who said, uh, the Brother Rain said, let me erase, erase uh, your memories so we can get rid of these filthy humans stuff. And he's like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to betray, to betray my friends. And he's like, and she's like, okay, let's see how human you've become. You know, and you have to fight the AI. And basically, after you defeat it, you know, the facility is closed for good. So, and I thought that was a really wonderful bit of character growth from Robo there. And then Frog, I related to on a different level where he was burdened with so much guilt from a travel to better himself with the, with his friend that went sour because his friend ended up getting killed and, uh, and, and by Magus, no less. Uh, and, uh, and I actually kind of I kind of relate to the regret part because sometimes I have a tendency to regret things needlessly to the point of to affecting my affecting how I interact with people and stuff like that. And I particularly had that experience weighing me down like like just a few years ago when when I had I had a falling out with a former friend of mine and. I've and then Frog overcoming that and becoming stronger, especially with that Masamune sword of his becoming unlocking its true potential because he let go of those past regrets. I actually, I just I found very inspirational because I've been working myself to overcome those regrets myself and mm. go forward and become more stronger in a, in a better headspace. So. In a way, I just I just found Frog just to be very inspirational in that sense because he's he's overcoming his past guilt and I'm working to do the same, you know. And I just found that incredible that they were able. And it was a guy too, whose character too, which which you know, saying it's okay to let go of this and be and and actually and actually not burden yourself so much, you know, which. A lot of you see all these like kind of disaffected loner guys, like you know my dead family or something like that. You know, but you know if you let that, go of that and move forward, you'll be better. That's more like Magus. He uh, he he's oh, still yeah, very uh, much, who kind of reminds me of Vincent in Final Fantasy VII. He's that kind of you know, yeah, I've done some wrong. terrible vampire things and sort of hides behind his cape. And again, is is very edge lordy. But uh, I think as an adult, it's easier to feel a little bit more sorry for these uh, guys as they. Um, kind of dwell on the past and and you're right frog yeah. does uh have have an arc whereby he has to move forward beyond this and, and beyond and, his and, regrets. And, and you can also really signify that a little bit where if you have frog in your party when you go to meet magus to recruit him and stuff and he says you wish if you wish to fight him if you choose like the option of yes it'll fight one to one but if you don't Froggle sheathed the sword, and he basically said, "If I slay you, then it won't return. Uh, then it won't return my friend's life, nor will it return Chronos." And I thought that was actually the stronger of the two options on that level because it shows that Frog is starting to let go, but he's not quite to the uh, there yet. But he's there's signs of it there that he's willing to he's letting willing to let go of like uh, his grudge against Magus. It means they'll form an alliance, you know? Yeah, yeah. For the greater good. Exactly. The way they handle that fight in general, regardless whether you have Frog in your party or not. Well, my experience with it, the first time I encountered it, I just kind of figured, well, of course I have to fight the villain. Hmm. And the fight is intentionally pretty easy. It's not a joke fight, but at the same time, it's a fight that you're going to win. Hmm. And the thing is, once you defeat Magus, he still helps you. He's still points you in the direction of what you're supposed to do. And 
And after he dies, he drops. Well, here's another pronunciation. Is it Shayla or Scala for you? I've I heard, said Shala. I heard Shala on these videos today, but uh, I'm fine uh, with any of them. Okay, so for he drops Shala's pendant, and when you pick it up, it plays that somber tune. Mm-hmm. And I did that, and I just felt terrible for doing that as a kid to the point where I just reset the game and chose the other option. Understandably. I, when I was a kid, I don't know. I just, when I saw that he, uh, the option of like fighting him, even though he was basically baiting them, I chose not to fight him because I just, I didn't even know you could fight him, honestly. I, I just, until years later, but I just, I just decided not to because I just like, no, there's no point fighting here if we can do something to fix this, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, uh, so, I don't know. I just, uh, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just at that moment I was just so weary from losing against Lavos so harshly and losing Chrono that I just didn't want to see another person's wife be, life be wasted, you know? Yeah. So I figured, I just, and I didn't expect him to just come with, but I'm glad he did because, you know, Awesome shadow magic. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the optional party members uh, that you uh, get, get to have. He's actually the only optional right. party member. Okay, so he's, there's there's a couple of bits in the game where he's sort of standing around with your group, and if he's not there, then he's not there. But uh, So yeah. do you, you absolutely need to have him there to get Chrono back, or can you get him back? No, no, not, no okay. you don't, actually. He just points you in the right direction of where to go to get right. to resurrect okay. Chrono. But he's very much optional, but if you have him on hand, he's really great because there's certain accessories you can get to equip on your characters to get triple techs with him, which are the only way you can get like triple any kind of text with him because otherwise he just is a, kind of the lone wolf he does things on his own kind of thing um, you know? we should also explain that mechanic yeah. quickly Go for yeah, it. so it's ahead. a turn Please. it's a turn-based game and they have double techniques which are just special moves but there are double and triple techniques where if you have two or three party members there's ready you can have them work together to do something yeah, I actually thought that was also pretty cool. That all you, like, every like everyone on your team is viable because you can combine like the different for, uh, things, uh, uh, different play styles. Because each character has their own different kinds of text, whether it's magic based or physical attacks or whatever. I mean, one of my personal favorites is uh, is uh, Volt Bite, which combines uh, the lightning spell of Chronos with mm-hmm. um, this cat attack of Ayla's. And it basically, he she gets struck by lightning and then bites the nearby enemy and just gives it a shock to its system. And I love that. It's one of my favorite techniques. My favorite technique is Falcon Strike. Oh, which that's a good one. Is also Chrono and Ayla, where hmm. Ayla just throws Chrono up, and then he, he. Also, another explanation: this game has placements of enemies on the field and area of effect moves, which such is pretty as. Yeah, and this one in particular, it's horizontal across the screen, and it's really powerful, way more than you would really expect it to be. Oh yeah, definitely. There's so much variety in in the gameplay that you know you could just you could just you could even even if you're just brute forcing your way through the game with physical moves, like everyone's viable. It's just really great. Frog is, uh, I think, one of uh, my favorite characters simply because he's a uh, 
an anthropomorphic animal that everyone seems to take seriously. Uh, potentially, the only uh, one who's, who doesn't quite is Luca, who has a problem with frogs and takes a while to, to warm up to him. But uh, he's got this wonderful little theme that's just for him. That... Yeah. You know the one. <laughs> I, I, that's like actually one of my favorite tunes in the game, especially yeah. if you actually listen to, like, there's actually, like, in, at least in the DS version, there's a uh, extras mode version of the track you can unlock in the oh. little sound testing that starts with a little fanfare of da 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 So it kind of makes it even more heroic in a way. Yeah. It, that, it's just kind of makes me wonder why they cut that little bit out in the main game, but it still makes it, it's just a, it really suits his character perfectly and also suits the era in which the game takes his, his home era in a way too. Yeah. Very kind of medieval sound quality. We should probably also just briefly say what time eras there are. Yeah. Good so right, there's, yeah. Yeah, good there's point. caveman times 65 million BC, which was originally 65,000 in the Japanese version. <laughs> then there's, there's 12,000 BC, which is where there are magic floating islands with antiquity, basically. Yeah, and then there's 600 AD, where their timing is just based on the formation of Guardia Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So there's 600 AD, which is kind of medieval fantasy. It's where there's a war between humans and and mystics in the translated version but demons in the original and well, the, well, they they call them fiends in the ds translation onwards but yeah okay but there's 1000 ad which is kind of hard to pin down kind of the technology level of it but that's where you start off as chrono yeah, yeah. It, that's and, considered the present day quote unquote yeah yeah it's also peacetime and i feel that's an important element to it yeah because because Chrono, Marl, and Luca could very well just gone back home and just figured, well, we're not going to be alive 999 years from now. Yeah. But exactly. anyway, the year 1999, which I'm convinced was chosen because it was four years after this game came out, so give it that much more. There was a lot of millennial fear in the 90s. They were like, what's yeah, going to happen when we yeah, hit 2000? I was going to touch on that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, 1999, which is called Day of Lavos, is when... And Lavos emerges onto the Earth and then sends a volley of energy bursts that just destroys everything, completely ruins the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And and then there's 2300 AD, which is just the planet is basically nearly dead at that point. And there's still humans living in just the bombed out ruins of these domes. This is where yeah, I kept getting fun. stuck because it's all misty and miserable and everything's buggered. Yeah, and all dour, I was just like, I don't want to keep going. And I, 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 obviously, if I just forced myself through, you can get back out of it again. But it's yeah, it's, it's kind it's, of it's, a it's all, bit of a stop. Sorry. There's a fun yeah, like yeah. speeder bike uh, chase where you, which you get to race between two domes, uh, and and uh, that's one of the uh, more appealing moments in it but it it is depressing seeing that the human race has has been depleted so hard and everyone's living in rags in the ruins it's a terminator future in a way yeah although interesting thing though if you actually choose to uh walk the road um road and like if you lose like the speeder bike race with it that Mm -hmm. that care that johnny guy you'll actually can find this little um item a key item and if you talk to him 
you can actually like record your best times on the speed bike race and if you oh, get nice. some really good times you get some really great prizes i'm not very good at it personally <laughs> but i have seen like youtube videos of people showing off all the different times you can get and what prizes you get and it's actually pretty cool you could actually you get some items that you could sell for a gold a lot of gold early on so you could get like really good equipment like really early on if need be it's tedious to do it that way but it is possible through well, the speeder bike is the best way to just get a lot of money. Mm. And mm. and there's a village that you go through. It's the Monster Village in the year 1000. But that they do sell some pretty comparable endgame equipment. They just mm. sell it at ludicrous prices because fuck humanity, right? Yeah, it's the, the, this is uh, the, the part of the present where monsters have taken over and if you go back in time and change the past you can actually make it that monsters didn't take over and then the prices in the present day plummet down to reasonable, which uh, gives not- you a nice little incentive. It's not taken. And also, it shows that some of the monsters who are in that village are actually being very amicable and polite to humans and sure. want to have them around. So, you know? no, you're right. It isn't take over completely, just that area. Yeah, it's, it's just that area, really. And they're just resentful of the fact they lost the battle against, yeah. uh, the battle against humans. And, and if you actually, like, uh, like Alex said, uh, Shaw said, you know, changing history, they actually become a little more amicable and, like, you know what? Humans aren't that bad, you know? Yeah. Well, it's that. This is one of two areas of the game where attitude can be changed through actions in the past, mm. where, where I kind of compare it to kind of the lost cause narratives of the American Civil War, where basically if you just leave Ozzy and company just still in their castle, just brooding that their attitude goes down through the ages and... And Medina Village is hostile towards humans. Can we but go back you... in time and get rid of the whole lost cause thing? Because that might really help America in the present. Yes, it would. If only, <laughs> if, oh, if only that would work. I, I love that. I, <laughs> especially with all the shit that's been going on now in the States. I mean, oh, my wait God. a second. Hang on a second. It's almost like someone could be writing a whole book series about precisely that. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. Yeah. Available on Bandcamp right now, folks. Uh, I've continue, actually listened sorry. to some of it. It's really good, folks. Trust me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big fan of alternate history stuff, and, and this is, like, thoroughly researched and I, wonderfully done. Honestly, I wasn't trying to uh, lead to that. It's just that I realized, oh, shit, I'm doing that. Okay. It, it made for a good segue. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, it made for a good segue. We'll allow it. <laughs> uh, continue, Peregrine. I think you were at the end of time. Yeah. The end of time, which is just... After, after the universe itself has collapsed in on mm. itself and time no longer has any meaning, think that the end of time is just this void in every direction where just the debris, including people from time, just ends up where one of the sages from antiquity ends up there and builds just kind of this. this it's like yeah. a little hub, basically, for... Uh, for the Chrono and company to kind of yeah. drift between as a little way to kind of recover their wits in between battles mm-hmm. across time and yeah. space. And, time. and it looks kind of, it looks kind of evocative of just kind of, I don't know, late 19th century England or something. There's it a lamppost kind of there. With the lamppost and everything. Yeah. Which I reminds me of Narnia. Yeah. Yeah. It's so just a bit. even though it's not phrased this way, the end of time is kind of where if, four or more people go through a portal um, that they 
it kind of overloads things and they get sent to the point of least resistance, which is mm. the end of time. Mm. And they use this to kind of justify why you can only have three party members, although it never really explains why you can't have Luca bring two people, go back by yourself, <laughs> and bring two more people. <laughs> Although they do kind of play with that in one of the dimensional vortices dungeon text dungeons in the DS version, where at one point three of three part of your party members get locked up in a little room, and the three other members of your team that are next in the line will go and try to find a, mechan- a mechanism to unlock that door so that it will free the other three. Mm. It's, yeah. it's so they've kind of, so it kind of plays with that a little bit, and they only it's only one a one time thing, but I actually kind of liked that. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I'm- I never actually got to really talk about another of my favorite characters, which is one we have we've neglected, Marl. Uh, oh yes, who is uh, Marl, your, yeah. um, I suppose your other female companion, who is a major female protagonist in the game. Because Marl and Luca team up with Chrono at the beginning, it feels like they're the core party members. They're all from the same time period, which helps. Uh, oh, definitely. Mar- yeah, uh, Marl is uh, uh, Queen Marlene or Princess Marlene. Princess. Princess. She's a princess. On the way yeah. to becoming queen. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. Uh, as far as I understand it, like the the king was married, the husband, the wife died of mm. like some unknown Ill- illness when Marl was still a little kid, and she basically just grew up with having a rather tempestuous relationship with her dad. Yeah, who and at, at it, some point in the story won't talk to you, and then you can bring him some beef jerky, but in the DS version, he shouts at you because it's too salty. Well, it's also in the SNES version too. Okay, like, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, but so you still can't get him to talk yeah, to you. And, but but you also but you also get to make up with him and they yeah. reconcile. And I actually that's one of the, one of the more heartwarming moments in my mind. Agreed. Yeah. Of the uh, game. Uh, I have a question. Yeah, go for it. In the SNES version, she's Princess Nadia, mm-hmm. but in the retranslation I played, that's closer to the Japanese version. It's Princess. It's, Marletia, I think. Did they change her name? From what I understand, it and like some ver- and like some guides that were only published in Japan, but I were it's like her name is like Marlidia Nadia Guardia or something like that. Some fancy royal sounding name, but Marlidia being her first name and Nadia being like like or, uh, like or no Nadia being her real name, but Marlidia being her like middle name or something and Marl being a shortening of that so she mm. goes by Marl as a way of kind of trying to hide her identity a bit yeah. kind of like how uh, Gary Oldman is uh, you know the actor his uh, full name is Leonard Gary Oldman so, but he goes by Gary Oldman professionally mm. yeah also it's pretty clear that the year 1000 I guess doesn't have photography or mass medium yeah people are like I can almost imagine like also it doesn't have portraits it's like no one recognizes her in the street because she's wearing uh, not royal robes. It's, yeah, it's kind of like Princess Jasmine in, uh, in Aladdin, yeah, or yeah, indeed Gwendolyn. In fact, in, in fact, uh, I didn't realize this until I was looking uh, until like maybe years later, uh, until like maybe just a couple years ago. But if you think about it, her Marl's outfit is actually basically her underwear that she wears under her dress, kind of because <laughs> of the poofy pants and everything. Yeah. Princess Gwendolyn does this exact same thing in uh, Princess Thieves. Just goes out because she's got to roam London. She she feels cooped up. So at some point while I was playing this, it must have rubbed off in somewhere inside my head to uh, to contribute. The, the subconscious to is an amazing thing, Alex. Yeah. So uh, the princess gets stolen, like in the Princess Thieves, uh, but it's uh, it's back in the past. So it's actually uh, Mull's uh, great 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 grandmother from 400 years beforehand 
and yeah. uh, she kind of disappears paradoxically, even though her descent, her ancestor isn't dead yet. The chances of her being born are lower to the point where she back to the future disappears, which again pretty much yeah. contradicts all of our chicanery on the uh, tress later on. But it doesn't matter. Back to the future rules, it's fine. Uh, and that's it's a it's used as a really great visual way of showing you what changing stuff in the past can do to the future, just to sort of like yeah. set the game off on its you know in its like yeah. this is your adventure yeah. now. As, as, especially when she comes back and you just, and she describes like what she describes what it was like and she said she felt like she was in some really cold dark void in somewhere like and she was like is that really what it's like to die mm. it, it's kind of adds a little it, it kind of you don't think about it too much but at the same time if you really dwell on it that's kind of a horrifying thing to experience yeah so and she was she was basically in limbo for a while until you set things right and it's like it's almost like gives you an incentive to hurry up and save the queen so that she's not in that hellscape any longer you know Um, so apart from Lucas which we've already mentioned uh, were there any side quests that because a a lot of people uh, prize these moments near the end of the game uh, more than uh, you know over the rest of it 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 reminded me of um, Mass Effect 2 the way you if you do the um, individual characters story missions you kind of get them on board for the the big mission at the end of the game and it felt like yeah. it was that sort of mopping up this is what you've got to do with your life yeah. and uh there's a sim- similar kind of thing in final fantasy 7 as well and to a degree in Steamheart. i mentioned about like frog letting go of his burdens and stuff like that well frog the frog uh, frog side quest is actually my favorite because it actually illustrates him actually letting doing that letting go and Mm. having his the masamune become more powerful and all that and also just and also basically kind of almost reconciling with the spirit of his dead friend and then his spirit saying like you've done you've become so strong but in my absence you you don't have to you don't have to dwell on the past anymore. You're, you're better than even I was. Go and help your friends with your mission, and and also protect the kingdom. You know, although also, also a funny detail about that I really like is that if you have Magus in your party during that side quest, and you know the, you do you see the flashing that you know, where the Masamune unlocks its true potential because of Frog letting go of his regrets. Um, if it, because of the flashing, you can actually see Magus' sprite kind of flinching, like, oh god, it burns. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was yeah. kind of funny. The way the quest works is that this tomb is in severe disrepair, and you need to hire carpenters to repair it. Oh, yeah. But one of the details is that the gravestone inside of it, it initially says, here lies Cyrus, the fool that challenged Magus. And by having Frog's reconciliation, it changes to a more heroic one. I don't remember what it said. I believe it said, like, saying, here lies Cyrus avenged by his friend Glenn or something, which is Frog's real name, by the way, folks. In fact, whenever I finish that side quest, there's an option, like, late in the game where you can change characters' names. There's a little creature, like, in in the the Ruba ruins who will uh, change your character any lead party member's name and every time I finish that side quest I always like to change Frog's name to Glenn like that he, like uh, as a way of kind of, symbolically yeah, yeah to show that yeah he yeah I I am I am Glenn I'm not Frog anymore I and also actually after you finish that side quest if you return to the uh, cave the mountain where you originally get the Masamune to fight Magus with well um, well part of it anyway 
if you go to a certain point and you, there's this enemy pelting you with rocks, if you have frog in your party, mm. you'll actually catch one of the rocks and you can have it as an accessory. And he'll, he'll be like, you're no match for me. I'm not the frog I was before. And it's, it's a really badass moment for frog. And Am I, I imagining I, that he caught it with his tongue? Is it, is, or did he just catch it with his hand? Or his I, massive I, 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 bicep arm? I, yeah, I know, right? I, I could swear he caught it with his hand, but now that you mention it, maybe he caught it with his tongue? It should be the tongue. Yeah, I definitely If, if there's a remake, tongue or nothing. <laughs> or, or hell, if they make decide to adapt it for an anime or something, mm. yeah, well, that'd be cool too. Yes. And maybe have like uh, Crispin Freeman play Frog. I think he'd be really good as Frog. Just having that deep voice coming out of this Frog, it'd be just I don't know. Anyway, sorry, I'm rambling. That's all right. I'm going to jump to the end of my questions to ask what were your favorite musical tracks that we haven't mentioned. Obviously, Frog's theme I will have played earlier. Uh, what oh, yes. were other ones? Uh, hang on, let me get my notes here. Um, uh, I already know mine. Okay, Peregrine. So. I kind of have two favorites, but this one is slightly better for me. Okay. The Ocean Palace theme. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that's, that's a great one. Yeah. It's, it's, it gives such an alien atmosphere to it, too. It's just... Yeah. up tension dread foreboding but it's not explicitly scary in a way that spoils itself you don't get the sense of you are leading to something terrible you get the sense of something terrible is about to happen that maybe you can stop them my co-first favorite is world revolution which is the track that plays for the second stage of the lavos fight incorporate Lavos's theme and the main theme as kind of dueling contrast with each other in it. Yeah, yeah, I I like that one too. And Uh, it's also that you get this track after because the first stage, Lavos shell, the outside one that kind of resembles a big spiky turtle. Lavos's theme is basically just a funeral dirge on an organ. It's really bleak and oppressive. Yeah, yeah and I after... actually kind of like Lavos's theme because it just almost feels like it's like you're experiencing a horror movie because of all the organs and everything. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's uh, intimidating. I mean, I mean my yeah. first time hearing that theme when I was nine years old, I had a big shiver run down my back hearing those organs. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> this yeah. thing also really okay. illustrates just how horrific this thing can it can be that it just brings out the organs in full force like that 
And World Revolution is kind of the point where it's just, you may just win this and you can finally feel hope again. The actual final battle theme is this really synthesized thing that doesn't really feel relevant at first, but I now realize just kind of that it really communicates first off just the alien nature of Lavos along with just how one interpretation that's borne out by Chrono Cross is that you can't actually kill Lavos physically anyway. I actually kind of like the final boss theme with La- the Lavos Corp too. One of my favorite details about it actually is if you're listening to it with headphones, it actually like there's like this if you're listening to it with headphones, it starts in one ear and then it migrates over to the other ear with the oh, and it's nice. just like really adds a nice kind of like and I didn't even notice this until I had got the soundtrack on an MP3 format and I played it I listened to it on my MP3 player once when I used to do volunteer work at a local library and i was like wait whoa i never noticed this before yeah and I, the, I mean i love the theme already but i've learned to appreciate it on a much deeper level when i noticed that little auditory detail the soundtrack by the way it's really masterfully done it incorporates phrases to imply characters and such yeah. and, and the and ocean it, palace theme has this electronic backing that's a little similar to the final final battle but it's it also does panning for that. Yeah. And, and, and funny enough, actually, this was uh, Yasunori Matsuda, the composer of the game. This was his actual debut work as a video game composer. He was originally hired at Square Enix to be a composer, but he did, like, like sound design work a little bit on the uh, instead, like on, like, Final Fantasies V and stuff like that. But it, this was, like, his first big job as a composer because he basically said to Square, you guys hired me as a composer I'm not doing much compositional work either you have me do work on one of your projects or I'm going to leave you know, and they basically gave him the Chrono Trigger work uh, project, you know, and the rest yeah. is history. He was only 24 at the time. Yeah, and although, he did, although contrary to popular belief, he didn't compose the entire soundtrack. There are certain tracks that were also composed by Final Fantasy mainstay Nobuo Uematsu, and that's because he but Matsuda overworked himself to the point where he ended up developing stomach ulcers. Oh. So he basically asked no, Oematsu to basically, could you compose these last few tracks for me? And he said, yeah, sure. Which yeah, there's also... There's I, also I can't remember which credit, tracks too. offhand Oematsu composed, but hmm. they're so... But they're so... It, it doesn't really matter because it, it, it still fits with the tone of the game to some extent. Yeah, so. yeah. There's no glaring yeah. dif- disparity between the tracks. It's uh, it, it sounds uh, beautifully poised the whole way through. It, it really is. Uh, even if you never like, you, I've been playing this music throughout the podcast, so you'll you'll know by now, folks listening, that that it has a quality yeah. and a charm to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's other 
there's a couple more tracks I that also resonate with me, like Megasys theme I really like because it works on like not just a boss fight level when you're fighting him, but once he joins your party, mm. if you have him in your party when you face off against Queen Zeal in the black uh in the uh black uh omen, omen. Mm-hmm. his uh yeah, thank you. His um his theme music actually overrides the regular boss fight music that will play when you're fighting. So it also takes on a heroic quality too. Oh, nice. So it works on that level as well. And then there's another track that was, ex- I think, I think it's exclusive to the DS version. I'm not, on, I'm not sure. I, it, but it plays during like the additional credits of the DS version. I don't know if they play it on the steam version and it's called entitled time to rest after the battle. Mm-hmm. And it kind of has that same kind of click, 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 click thing. Like you hear at the beginning track of, of the first, like the prelude thing at the, on the title screen. So it almost kind of bookends the game in a way from a musical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it also just is, I mean, to the, to the outskirts of time or whatever it's called that plays during the end credits is, is a nice serviceable theme, but time to rest after the battle really just seals the deal on ending it and shows and it's pretty much what it says on the tin it's time to rest your battle is done you know just relax and watch the credits roll you know and I I I don't know if it was Mitsuda who composed that for the DS version or not but it's still a really wonderful piece that really like I said bookends the game really musically Once you get the uh, the the epic uh, time ship thing, you get wings for it, and you start flying around like an airship. I love the music that plays e- during e- that because epoch or mm. epic, yeah, yeah. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Anyway, uh, just flying around with it, I just and hearing that theme, it just do 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 do. You know, it just it feels like you're just having a jaunty time, uh, jaunty thing going through time, and in, in some way, uh, there's a part of me that almost wants to make a video of the TARDIS flying through the time vortex uh, set to that theme just to see how it would look. I guarantee <laughs> that exists already. <laughs> oh, it does. Okay. I don't even have to look. Nice for to it. know I'm not original then, uh, but but it's just it just fit it just it just feels like it just feels like a kind of i'm jaunting through time kind of thing and i just kind of like it just because of the chirpy nature of it even if you're doing very serious stuff of trying to put things right it's still a nice kind of it's a moment of levity and a a levity you know just and and lord knows we could use all that now and then well i guess i guess just kind of place that theme just the sequence of events is after Chrono dies, the rest of your party, Shala teleports them to safety, to the last village, as it's called, where just the survivors of Lavos destroying Zeal Kingdom reside. And, I mean, you get ambushed and captured by a comedy villain just right off because this game <laughs> understands why not? that. This game understands that you do need some kind of levity. Mm. And that whole sequence on on this comedy villain's airship, where it's him that orders his engineers to make the Epoch flyable. And you 
Aero, Dalton, Imperial. We have looked off Houston. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, in Secret of Mana, there's a comedy airship sequence as well, where this uh, seemingly yeah. incompetent Empire guys uh, end up, uh, you know, picking you up in the desert and then letting you go. It's. Uh, I, I vaguely remember that part. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be a mainstay of, of Square stuff. And actually, thinking about it, Shinra were a bit incompetent in uh, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. 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 The little. Yeah. The little the, little goofballs yeah yeah of course that in final fantasy 6 that kind of almost works against you because you think kefka is going to be the comedy villain and turns out nope <laughs> so uh let's move on to near at the end of the game uh, i've got can you give some solid advice for later bosses but you can also extend that to things that you don't want to miss in this game because obviously if you're looking at a guide you'll get the option to do everything but there's a, just a couple of things which we might not have mentioned that uh, like frog catching that stone, just little touches which uh, well, might also go in there. Well, there's one little detail I like, like when we were talking earlier about the um, forest side quest thing, where Luca goes to change your path. If you actually go to visit Luca's house after you've changed that particular event, mm-hmm. you can actually see Luca's mother walk, get up and walk around, nice. and it's actually kind of nice little touch. You can talk to her, and she's like, "Oh, I think I'm going to go out for a nice walk today. I feel very, I, I feel." And she's very upbeat and sprightly, and you even, and it's just really just wonderful that you see, you can see her up and at him, and it's just, and when you could see her just confined to a chair, like in the early parts of the game, and it's just, and then, um, uh, uh, just. As far as advice goes, this game is relatively simple. So, well, I mean, JRPGs usually. Yeah. Well, I refer to it as turtling is a tactic that you can use just in general where you just focus defensively on recovering. Yeah. In my recent playthrough, I didn't look up guides or anything, and through turtling, I was actually able to defeat Son of Sun despite not wearing the right armor for it. Yeah. There's and, a, there's actually a strategy I have here that I dis- I found out via a Let's Player for Son of the Sun that makes things a little easier, if, even if you don't have the right armor. Um, if you have actually Magus in your party and he knows the his black hole tech, which which will basically suck enemies in to um into a little black hole, basically, you know, you'll still get the experience, but it's like almost like an instant death move. Uh, if it if it's done if, it, if there's a chance, slim chance that you can use it to suck up all the flames that are surrounding it, save for the one you have to attack in order to do damage to it. So that's a nice little way you could kind of cheese it that way as well. Also, a strategy I found like if you're playing like the versions from the DS version onwards, there's that Dream Devourer bo- bonus boss you can you have to face off once you finish the Dimensional Vortices. It's kind of basically almost like an allusion to the final boss of Chrono Cross, really. But there's a the, during like the bonus content, the Lost Sanctum and the Dimensional uh, Vortices, you can get an, a new accessory for the game called the Dragon's Tear, which it can increase uh, your critical hit ratio by a wide margin. And also, there's a new weapon for Robo you can get called the Apocalypse Arm, which if you have critical, if it does a critical hit, it'll do regardless of the enemy's defenses exactly 9,999 damage. Jesus. So. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, oh. if you have that, the, both those things equipped on Robo, and he's in your team during the Dream Devourer fight, if the odds are in your favor, you can basically just cheese it, cheese through the G- Dream Devourer like nothing if you have those two things on Robo. So Also, Ayla at level 99, because she doesn't equip weapons, she uses her fists, but mm. when you reach... Gets stronger, she gets stronger, by the way. Yeah. 
But when you reach level 99 or two asterisks, because the max level for stats and such is represented by two asterisks, when you reach that, she gets Titanium Fist, and critical hits for that will also do 9,999 damage. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The only JRPG I can recall just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing until I was just... I think I broke the damage meter where it can go beyond 9999 was Final Fantasy X, where um, Auron was just, like, sweeping through, uh, you know, major bosses, inflicting so many friggin' numbers I couldn't count. It was crazy. (laughs) But to do that, I had to put insane... I think that may have broken me on JRPGs, the amount of time I had to devote to that. I did the... You know the the bounce backwards away from the lightning thing to get the ultimate weapon for... Um, I can't even remember her name now. Lulu, the the the, the teddy bear, yeah. which is. Uh, I think you, I know what you're talking about. You had to about. dodge yeah, out of the way of a bajillion lightning bolts. It was stupid. Yeah, I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't played Final Fantasy X in a while, but yeah. I kind of have a vague idea of what you're talking about. <laughs> it's a hundred. You have a half second to press a button, uh, and I don't get your fun, kids. Um, yeah, and I mean, I've known people that got up to the 90s and then failed them. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, it, it just like memories of that level of tension do leave a scar, folks. So, like, consider well, we, before you start doing something like that. I mean, admittedly, I had I actually my first time when I played Chrono Trigger when I was nine. I I struggled to hell and back trying to beat Magus. Didn't know what, and I just didn't know, couldn't quite figure out the whole barrier change thing. And I actually had to enlist the help of my older brother to help me because because yeah. he because he he played other JRPGs. This was my first one, and I I'd never seen a boss like this. Where where, oh, you can attack him with this power now. Oh, you can take oh, this power heals him. That power now heals him. You got to use a different power, you know. And that just confused the hell out of me. And, uh, and I was just like, "What do I do? Owen, help!" Oh, I, I will <laughs> say uh, a tip for f- facing off against Lavos, Lavos at the very, very end. Uh, definitely have Chrono in your party. I know it sounds obvious, but you don't have to at that point, and you need lightning magic against one of his forms, and if you don't, you're doing pathetic chip damage for nearly an hour. It was fucking pathetic to have to sit through. (laughs) But if you just do one lightning attack, that devastates the uh, um, defense levels. So oh, very much, even yeah. even when you're fighting like the uh, reptites in 65 yeah. million BC, you know, they, if you use lightning on them, they, their defenses are lowered, so you can just wail on them till they're dead. And another thing also, to remember when you're facing Lavos is that you can, between rounds, switch party members, so which, uh, you can play tactics. Which is really good. yeah, that's yeah. Hard. And, that. and I thought that was actually pretty ingenious. Although it would have been nice to be able to save because that 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 fight is exhausting. It can be, definitely. Yeah. Well, you can save after the shell. Yeah. Where yeah. I'm but not even a that's fan. Pretty, pretty long. Well, I'm not a fan of fighting the shell normally because they do that whole boss rush thing, which yeah. is just, it's filler. It's unnecessary. It doesn't really add anything. I, to me, I thought it was a nice kind of reminder of like, what, of like basically kind of, um, how do I word this? Um, like basically what you had to overcome to get there basically yeah. it was a nice kind of like it was almost like a clip show almost <laughs> you're not wrong I, I couldn't think of any other way to put it, yeah, way of putting like, it. remember that time when we yeah remember that time 
<laughs> yeah. And it kind of almost like, it, 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 for me anyway, it kind of steeled my determination. Like, okay, if I can beat this thing, I can beat this this yeah. monster. Although you know? the last form will punk you because uh, that, for that and that particular one, he'll start devastating you. And, and I, I ended up losing that first time around. Um, this is when the, I didn't have Chrono. Uh, and... Uh, I, I, was, I spent the last bit just desperately trying to heal and bring back to life my party, but once you're on the back foot, he, it's just not going to go well for you. But because I've sunk that much time into it, again, that that kind of experience is, is enough to sort of put me off whole games. And, yeah. and that's, that's fair enough. I, I can well, understand that to some extent. Yeah. For a new game plus, for the right telepath that I mentioned a long while ago... That just skips you straight to near the final stage of Shell. Yeah. And, and, so. and in fact, I think if I recall correctly, Chrono Trigger was one of the very first games to actually have that kind of new game plus mm-hmm. option where you can play through the game like, uh, from the very beginning, except with all the great, all the most, well, most of the great, of uh, the stuff uh, that you had equipped to your characters in the yeah. end game. So, so basically, you, you devastate could enemies. the whole yeah. damn thing. Just, yeah. <laughs> I, I've done research on this. And I'm 99% certain Chrono Trigger is the first game to do that. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. Then I'm not too off base then. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, okay, so regarding the various endings, how, how many are there and how do you have, like, are there any memorable ways of getting different ones? We don't have to go through all of them, but uh, just like ones where, like, oh, if you do this, this is clever. One of the big ones, because. For the Ocean Palace, when you encounter Lavos there, Lavos just having been summoned early in 12,000 BC, mm. Lavos is extra powerful, and the idea is that on your first playthrough, unless unless you just ground, grinded for hours just on your own, that Lavos will defeat you in one volley. Yeah. But it is possible with max stat characters and equipment that you can actually beat the game there. It's still it's, hard to do, though, because yeah. he'll just curb stomp you if you're not careful. Yeah, you're real. You have to be really defensive during it. But thankfully, Lavo's body and core are just the same difficulty if you do it that way. Mm. In fact, probably really yeah. easy because max stats. Yeah, and, and actually, if you uh, do that at that point, or actually, if you fight Lavos at the very beginning, like you, uh, Peregrine was alluding to. Um, you got the ending you get is basically a developer's room ending where you can talk to all the different people who worked on the game represented by like monster sprites and stuff like that and and it's just kind of nice and it's like they're using like the the background for it is is the end of time thing so it's almost like you're visiting the end of time and just talking to the devs about the experiences of making this piece of art for lack of a better term hmm. yeah you know, and it's kind of nice actually yeah that's one of the definitely one of the ones to get I mean there are a whole bunch of variations of the canonical ending well canonical is the wrong term just because Uh, the developers the the basic ending yeah the one that you're probably going to get the first time yeah is the differences are you can actually skip resurrecting chrono and it gives just kind of a tinge of melancholy as far as just what they lost to do this use the that's a nice touch you can take the epoch to 1999, and when you do that, the flying one specifically, not the grounded one, mm-hmm. that when you do that, you have the option that you can actually just crash through the shell, and that will destroy the epoch in the process, and oh, that geez. changes the, that yeah, changes the so ending dramatically. Very much so, yeah. It's a, 
that I remember trying that out one time, and I just felt so bad because I was like, I just destroyed my time machine. I love this thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I just it's had to be destroyed. Uh, yeah, at least it wasn't like the TARDIS where because it exploded, it caused rips in the fabric of reality. Yeah, but, you, don't, yeah. you don't want that happening. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. But, but the, yeah. the other variation is whether or not you kill Magus. And if you kill Magus, then, then they do actually show Frog becoming human again. I don't think he becomes human again if you don't kill Magus, but he kind of doesn't have to. Although my my kind of headcanon is like there's like this one little anime cutscene in from uh, the PS1 version onwards where you actually see uh, Glenn, the human Glenn and it looks almost like because it's Akira Toriyama it almost looks like Vegeta with spiky green hair, hmm. but because uh, he's and he's still got the same armor on that he was wearing as Frog and he's being knighted. But my headcanon in that moment is that maybe Magus kind of felt bad for turning him into a frog and changed him back before he got knighted. Yes. Know? Yeah, that's, my personal, that's my personal headcanon anyway, because it showed that maybe Megas and Frog, or Glenn rather, developed a, a, a mutual respect for one another while fighting Lavos alongside each other. Yeah. I, and that overcame their animosity. I kind of interpreted their relationship as a bit one way in terms of that it's Frog that has justifiable reasons to be angry at Megas, but Megas, I don't think, really holds grudges against just anyone besides Lavos and to a lesser extent his mother I mean he's not the one that initiates the the second fight he just basically just says well if you want to fight me because you're angry and such then I'm then I will yeah let let your yeah just let it all out yeah and it, although some of the endings you can get uh, based off of where you defeat Lavos in the New Game Plus are kind of jokey. Like there's a goofy one that I actually kind of I'm kind of fond of. Where if you defeat, uh, I can't remember the exact criteria. It's, I know it's before you fight Magus in the Middle Ages, but uh, but uh, it, it's like there's an ending where uh, where Frog and Queen Lean, who's Marl's ancestor, who disappears at the beginning of the game, you know, mm. end up getting married, and oh, Marl ends up some kind, and Marl, and Marl ends up becoming some kind of frog princess in the present day. <laughs> and if you see her like uh, the sprite as human stuff, every uh, everyone's like, "Oh, Your Majesty, why are you wearing your disguise?" or something nice. like that. And you don't know what's going on, and then you see Marl's sprite croak, hear Marl's sprite croak, and you're like, "Oh no!" Nice. <laughs> I like that it's, as an ending. It's kind of playful. And then there's another one that ending. I can't remember the you know, criteria for unlocking this one, but it's where Marl and Luca go through like a slideshow of sorts. It's like, and they're being all silly. And then Chrono puts a stop to it and actually basically starts talking to them verbally and stuff. And they're both kind of shocked, like, oh my God, he's talking. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's there, a pretty funny moment. There's also another ending where there, you get this by fighting Lavos shortly after you defeat Magus, get hurtled through time by Lavos, you end up in 65 million where there's the final war between the humans and the reptites or dino-men as they're called in this originally. Mm-hmm. And, I like reptites better, it sounds yeah, cooler. But... Reptites are better. So they, if you then defeat Lavos, the game's ending kind of treats it as though humanity did lose that war and you just go back to a timeline where everybody is a reptite. Oh yeah, so it's the lizards take over the planet. Yeah. yeah. If we lose this war against Lavos, truly it will become a planet of the lizards. Nice. I for one welcome our lizard overlords. <laughs> <laughs> References there, I had to take it. <laughs> 
Uh, any um, other endings yeah. that uh, we haven't missed? I mean, like, just, I, I there's really... Like, there's, like, counting the ending you get uh, from defeating... Well, I say defeating, but actually, you know, just, you know, doing enough damage to the dream devoured or constitute defeating it. You know, like, there's, like, little... Like, there's, like, uh, there's, like, a little moments that show, like, basically, like, like, things that lead into Chrono Cross a little bit, like, you know, the ending of the Kingdom of Guardia and... Or Guardia, or however you say it, um, and uh, and like uh, you know, being burnt to the ground and stuff like that, which kind of ends on a rather bleak note. Oh, that's but, terrible! Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Does that imply and, the fact that uh, Chrono and Ma- uh, and Mal were were killed in that conflagration? It, apparently, yeah, and that and that the Masamune disappeared, and yeah. no one could find it. That's grim. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I tried to ignore that ending because I'm like I said, not a big fan of Chrono Cross. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my history with Chrono Cross, I don't think many things disappointed me as much as that game did. <laughs> so, well, I mean, we can just strike of, it out of headcanon by all means. You, you do not have to observe bad sequels. Or, yeah. or just sequels that do stuff with the plot where you're like, yeah, no, cheers, but no. Yeah, discontinuity yeah, I, and all that. Uh, yeah. So, for example, uh, Halloween Resurrection does shit things with Laurie Strode. So if uh, Halloween 11, the one with the old Jamie Lee Curtis, can ignore Halloween's 2 through 10, then I'm going to go ahead and ignore Halloween 8. Thank you very much. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, or Superman Returns ignoring Superman 3 and 4. Bingo. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, in uh, Chrono Cross is not necessarily the, uh, the the natural continuation, but I did like that the very end of at least the version I played was sort of Marl and Chrono together beside Queen Lean's Bell. So it's like this queen you met in the past that seems like someone you just recently met did in fact live and had her life and died years ago, and then this bell was put up there in in her honor. I, I like that, and. Yeah. Um, then there's the kind of a it almost inspired by um, like everyone steps into the time vortex to go back to their individual times and there's a little moment between Robo and Luca where she doesn't oh I was going to bring this up yeah. but I, I love that moment she doesn't too. want Robo to go especially because if he goes into the future and they're preventing that future he may never exist and they kind of pair him up with a pink robot in the the, the final credits but uh, yeah Atropos yeah that's from the uh, side quest I talked about from the about robot earlier. side quest yeah where you get rid of Mother Brain from Metroid? Question mark. No, or no, just a completely no, different. No, I Mother think Brain? it was just a coincidental name thing. I was yeah. just kind of smirking about the name same being the same earlier, really. But I, and, I, I think I don't know if it was deliberate or not. I, I don't even know what the Japanese name for that thing yeah. is. But I, I think it's just just like a little coincidence. More it was. Than. It was in the retranslation. I played still Mother Brain, okay. but also Mother Brain in this. She's kind of a prismatic. Kind of rainbow-looking thing, hologram of a, a generic woman. She's kind of a showman. Yeah, as opposed to yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, and but they kind of have uh, both kinds of ending because you've got this bittersweet parting and everyone goes back, and then uh, it's a. It's a, from the Super Mario Brothers film with Bob Hoskins. It's a, you're never going to believe this ending, which we hate movies to talk about a lot. And it's like, the, oh, yeah. like there's some, like time bandits going on and we've got to get in the epoch or epoch uh, uh, and, and we've got to race through time. And then the credits are just the, the epoch flying through the sky in these various uh, yeah. uh, time zones and all of these yeah. characters looking at it as it flies yeah. across. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. To, I don't to bring know. things back to the Luca and Robo thing, one of my favorite details about that, mm. it, 
at least, and it's a lot more explicitly spelled out in the DS version onwards. But there's a moment where like Robo kind of flinches for a moment. You hear a clank, and he's like, and you see, he's basically saying, "Oh, oil has obscured my eyes." So basically, it's like huh. even though Robo is not human, he's crying. Yeah, because he's gonna miss. He's gonna be. He's because he basically calling drops of oil that he won't be able to see his friends again. It kind of reminds me of that moment in uh, Star Trek Generations where uh, after the Enterprise has crashed and everything, and Data finds his cat among the wreckage, and he's like, "Spot, I'm very happy to see you, Spot." And he says, I- "I'm happy to see Spot, but I'm crying. I think my motion ship is malfunctioning." Hmm. And and um, and. Um, Beverly Crusher's like I think it's working perfectly, nice. you know. It just reminded me of that a little bit. And it's just I, I I love those kind of moments where Ooh, the non-human but... character has developed as gets human emotions. You know? Yeah, just, yeah. I don't know the conditions for this happening, although I think I usually seen this. But Chrono's mother is the one that ends up chasing a cat into the closing That's time. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And you know, yeah, Chrono's mother is actually. She's a really minor character, but she has a great scene where when you're resurrecting Chrono, uh, you have to get a doll that resembles him, and in, and you get it from you get it from the fair from this one tent, and it's sent to his house. And when you get it, Chrono's mom will actually just ask the party where her son is. Yeah, and he's like, oh, he's just fine. He's just kind of hanging about somewhere. We'll, 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 he'll be home soon enough. And I'm just like, oh god, That's an awkward conversation to have. Yeah, and, and even especially, and even, and even like if you go back after talking to her and you have the doppelganger and you don't have Chrono in your party, hmm. she'll be like, oh, hello, is Chrono okay? You know, even even if you have, uh, even if Chrono is fine and he's not in your party, you know, and it's just like. Uh, <laughs> at least for me, I don't. I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, I'm like. Uh. Okay. <laughs> but, um. Any more on the endings, or are we done now? Because I think. Uh, I, well, there's like counting the DS version. There's like 13 different endings, and I think we'd probably get a whole other podcast mm. just to talk about those. But I'd say we've given them, it a fair shake. I, I agree. I think we have as well. Mm. Uh, any more, Peregrine? One of the endings is just the new characters and you which are these kind of kind of resemble blue beach balls that just have spindly arms and legs oh <laughs> new. yeah yeah i love one of, yeah they're so derpy but i love them <laughs> um they're one of the endings is just that just kind of while the credits are rolling that just kind of doing vaguely slapstick comedy Hey, there's one where it's just kind of where if you defeat Lavos after you've carved open the mountain to go to Magus's castle, but before actually confronting him, there's an ending which is just themed around the lead up to a final battle between them with yeah. just audio of it. And they don't really show who the victor was. Yeah, it's like you see the victor in silhouette and it's got a cape, but you don't know if it's Frog or, or Magus. I actually like that, too. That's nice. a nice little nice little atmospheric ambiguity there. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I would like to mention is okay. that the game's tone is handled really well because the game's tone for most of it, it's very... I mean, I don't know what word to use that doesn't sound Cheeky. a bit... <laughs> It's yeah, it's cheeky. It's very cartoony, but not in the negative sense. It's irreverent it's, but uh, compassionate. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Little the, got into the, the way, galaxy. Yeah, exactly. And the way yeah, it, yeah. Or, or the a little way bit it farscape to some extent. Hmm. 
Yeah, the way it contrasts that with just the fact that, as mentioned, and Lavos as both a creature and kind of the story behind it is basically a Lovecraftian monster. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, incomprehensible I... to humans and, and such. But just the contrast of the tone of the game with that gives it a really stark contrast that I feel makes it more effective as just a Lovecraftian-style story than most I... Lovecraftian stories. I actually just had a sudden realization that popped into my head. Um like uh, to lend itself to that Lovecraftian thing is that um, when you're traveling on that mountain death peak mm. um, to resurrect Chrono, like they say that early on that it's the source of the devastation. And I just realized that that mountain you're climbing on could very well be the remains of Lavos after he expended his energy for, to destroy the world. Oh, and geez. that's And that's why you're, that's why you face off against those little baby Lavoses on the mountain there. That's kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah, that was spelled out more in a later, in probably okay. the DS version. In oh, the yeah, SNES no, version, I, they that just, just... That just clicked with me just now, so I'm just like, wait a minute, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And... Okay, so my closing question is, let's imagine that those listening have now played Chrono Trigger, and like me, after Secret of Mana, they are hungry for more of a similar kind of game, but... Unlike me, in England in 1995, they actually have access to a whole raft of video game history at not unreasonable prices. What game would you personally recommend, and this is not one that you've had a chance to prepare for, so it's going to be off the top of your heads, that has the flavor or some sort of spiritual link or, or some sort of like connection to Chrono Trigger that they could move on to from here? Well, that's easy for me. Okay. Final Fantasy VI. Okay. It's the big game Square released before this one. It came out yeah. the year prior. I mean, it's not story-wise all that similar, although, I mean, Square games have a lot of recurring themes, themes such as, I mean, environmentalism is something that pops up quite a bit, some more explicit than others, such as Final Fantasy VII is really blunt about it, but something like yeah. Final some Fantasy Some anvils need to be dropped. <laughs> yeah. So, um... But Final Fantasy VI, it came out in the same system. It's it's something where, well, one of the other things that Chrono Trigger did that other games hadn't really is that, well, other RPGs specifically, is that the monsters you fight are moving around and fully animated, where in other turn-based games, such as the Final Fantasy games traditionally, until seven, you would just have kind of a static image that might shift occasionally of whatever mm-hmm. monster you're fighting. It's just a big portrait. Yeah. And Final Fantasy VI also has that. And Final Fantasy VI also has smaller character sprites, but they're still really expressive. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, they do have a really great personality to them. Terra yeah. particularly. And it was the last uh, Final Fantasy before they moved on to the polygonal artwork of uh, uh, 7, 8, 9 onwards. So it really is like the last gasp for SNES-style graphics, or SNES, Mm -hmm. if you want into the whole brevity thing. Yeah. Uh, For me, um, uh, uh, this is more probably like superficial, like in terms of parallels, but, (laughs) and the game, I mean, also the the gameplay mechanics are vastly different, but I'd have to say Earthbound to some extent because nice. it starts up. It kind of starts off kind of lighthearted and silly, but it gets pretty damn Lovecraftian in the end game at times, like with the final boss against Gigas or Gigas or however you say his name. Mm. 
and it but it's still but it's 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 but it's still very charming i mean it takes place kind of in the real world as opposed to like a fantasy thing but and the kids have psychic powers as opposed to magic but still and i mean i mean and to some extent i mean shigesato itoi said that he was inspired by the dragon quest series to make mm-hmm. the other franchise in the or slash earthbound series in the first place so uh, so yeah. it's almost like a refinement, but also kind of an affectionate parody in a way. And if we have also, Undertale fal- fans out there they that haven't yet played Earthbound, that's the one to go to. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I even, I mean, even to some extent, the final boss against Gygas, it just reminds me so much of like uh, this one thing from the Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like uh, when I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's into that stuff, you know the Lovecraftian horror stuff like describing the final boss to her you know when it, she just said when I was describing what you have to do to defeat it she's like that sounds like something out of H.P. Lovecraft you have to do there yeah specifically Azathoth who's the blind idiot god yep, that's that the one. is yeah, that's dreaming the one uh, dreaming of reality and should it ever wake then reality will cease to exist exactly yeah that's kind of the one I was thinking of I just couldn't remember the name offhand thanks so that's uh, yeah. Final Fantasy VI and Earthbound. Yeah. Okay, mine is Secret of Mana on the PS4 that I mentioned earlier, because while the SNES version is still gorgeous, the update is even more so, and it feels like, if not a modern game, one with contemporary presentation, at least. It's much more focused on real-time combat than the turn-based ones we've already mentioned. Uh, it's a lot less plotty, and uh, the it has uh, fewer character quests than Chrono Trigger, but it has amazing music and environments yeah. and this utterly charming world to explore. And you really, like, when you get to fly on a, a dragon in the uh, later stages of the game, and just that the... I love that part. The soaring feeling of just flying around on him with the, this music that just, like, there's two different uh, um, uh, bits of music for one where things are going well and one where things are going... Le- oh, in fact, three. One where things are really bad. And then a later one where it's like, right, you got to do this last bit because you got to save the world. But it's that really sunk in when I was young, and it, it just felt like a, I was exploring the whole thing. And you can pick up the PS4 version for about twenty bucks. And again, I would love for Chrono Trigger to get this treatment. You can also Me get too. it on Switch, uh, the, the 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 Secret of Mana uh, three pack bundle, uh, a collection of mana. Yeah, yeah I own the uh, mana, physical yeah. copy of it. It has. It has Secret of Mana in it. It has its sequel, which was known as Final Fantasy Adventure in the mm. West, but and then its sequel, uh, Trials of Mana, which was actually for the Super Nintendo, but didn't come out over here yeah. until the collection came out. And uh, so the Game Boy version, then the SNES uh, Secret of Mana, then the uh, Japanese-only follow-up, which is only now being re-released. Yeah. 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 In fact, I like to think that they've released a collection of mana basically so they could uh, peep trials of mana could be finally localized because fans like me who love the mana series as probably as much as you do, Alex, uh, yeah. really just have been wanting to play an official translation of this game for a while because yeah. you know it's it's the one that never made it to the states, you know, or there the is- West. There is an alternative to uh, uh, getting hold of uh, that uh, Switch game and uh, all getting hold of the PS4 remake, and that is the Super Nintendo Mini Classic, which has got Secret of Mana on it, but it also has Final Fantasy III on it, which is Final Fantasy VI, because that's the uh, American numbering, yep. uh, but it also has Earthbound on it. So technically, just get the Mini, and you get all three of our picks all in one go, plus Super Mario yeah. RPG as well. And a whole yeah. bunch of other SNES games. And also, if you don't have the SNES Classic, it's a really wonderful way of playing those games. To have 
a replica of the uh, the SNES pad in your hands. Uh, I yeah, was playing Chrono Trigger on it earlier, yet, but I really want to get one just so I can kind of play like SNES games with my nephew. That'll be really fun. And uh, I've heard and I, I, that, that certain like chipped versions can contain more than just those originals. So you could maybe even find a version that has Chrono Trigger on it as well. But I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, anyway, make sure you absolutely definitely pay Nintendo uh, uh, for, uh, for for whatever you own on Nintendo. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, pay I, for what you love. <laughs> I mean, I bought all three versions of Chrono Trigger, so I feel no guilt for emulating it for this playthrough. Absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, however, folks, avoid the iOS version of Secret of Mana like the plague. That is a heinous port. Yeah. I, I've heard really horrible things, and, uh, and since we're talking about iOS disa- ports that are disasters, also avoid the uh, iOS version of Tales of Fantasia. I've heard it's really bad, and even has microtransactions of all things on it. Was there a bad version of uh, Final Fantasy VI on iOS, or was that okay? It's it's okay, but they changed the sprites a bit. Oh. They the monster sprites they look fine, but the character sprites they kind of look like Flash games. Right. And, yeah, it does kind of. The transition to 3D kind of killed the art of sprite work in general. Hmm. I mean, you just Unless see... Unless you're kind an indie developer, but... Yeah. You, yeah. you just kind of see a gap from 96 or so for most games, and then recent mobile games, and recent mobile games, even though they have high resolutions and such, they do not know how to make sprites look good. Hmm. And part of that is because in the industry the industry went so hard on 3D they kind of drove away all their original artists yeah kind of like it's a shame really because there's actually some original JRPGs they make for like mobile phones and such that they're porting to Switch and uh, 3DS and such like that that are made by uh, Chemco which I actually kind of like it almost feels like I'm playing a throwback to SNES era stuff like there's this one I've been playing lately called Bonds of the Skies Mm -hmm. that uh, on my Switch that's just it's it feels like an old SNES game, but the gameplay almost feels modern, even though it's turn-based. And it just, it's it's kind of nice, really. It's almost like a, it's like almost like a, a bridge between the SNES, the the two D era and the three D era mm. in a way. Octopath Traveler is also beautiful on the Switch. I, I need to get that. Yeah. I need to get that. It's One currently of my on friends sale. Has, it, it's on Steam Digitally, yeah. too. But, but yeah, I want to get a physical copy <laughs> another bonus of if you can track down a, a snares mini aside from the fact that if you really are into your game's history that is something you just want to keep in your house is that you can use the pads uh, attach them to your wii controllers and, and get that classic snares experience out of your uh virtual console games so that's that's another reason to to have it just for the uh the, the controllers As well as the soundtrack, it is absolutely worth tracking down the OC remixes of Chrono Trigger. What you're currently hearing is Memories of Green playing on the orchestral album. And I'm going to use it to thank our $15 patrons who get sponsor credit every episode. Thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Haskell, Angus Lee, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, who you just heard on this show. Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gesiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, 
Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joel Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. And a special thank you once again to our five sponsors of this episode, Kevin Vey and Alexander Peregrine, both of whom were guests on the show. We don't usually do that, but this one required the experts. And Nicholas Kosky, Matthew A. Siebert, and Brian Legg. And an extra thank you to Legendary Frog, Joseph. The Legendary Frog? Maybe. I asked about on Twitter, how do we end this one? What piece of music do I play? And he suggested go to the Chrono Symphonic and check out the ending theme to Far Away Times, which is what we're about to hear. Thank you, Joseph. And to everyone else who made suggestions. And as we reach the end, I'm going to play you Frog's orchestral theme, because this guy was my favorite. We're going to finish now. Gentlemen, thank you once again for coming on the show to do this game justice. My pleasure. My pleasure. I I was actually kind of nervous because I've just been a fan of this this podcast for years, and it's just almost like a dream come true to be on. (laughs) Yeah, kind of the same for me. It was great having both of you. Uh, Thank you to Alex Peregrine. You're welcome. It was nice to come on. And thank you to Kevin Vay. Thank you very much, Alex. I hope maybe I can do another one of these with you guys sometime, maybe on a movie or something that I love. I've been Alex Shaw, and school's out.